Hey, Rev City Church, how you guys doing? Hey, if you have your Bibles, would you do me a favor? Turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23. Uh, I have a lot of scriptures for you guys today, but that is definitely one I want you to have ready to look up. And uh, we'll also have it on the screen. But if you have your Bibles, please do that. Hey, I also want to thank you for being here on Labor Day weekend. I know all of us could be doing some fun things. Anyone got some fun plans for tomorrow, right? I think we all do. So thank you for joining us, whether you're joining us online or in person. We are so glad you're here. Um, I also want to thank Pastor Richard for that amazing message he gave us last week. Can we give him a hand? Honestly, very, very timely message, I believe. Um, I loved it because he talked about the heart, right? And he talked about guarding your heart, protecting your heart. And I love the story he shared with Samson and Delilah and how really the beginning of uh, Samson's fall, his demise, was when he gave his heart over to Delilah, right? Instead of keeping it in the Lord, his God. And if you were here the two weeks prior, I had been preaching on the heart. I gave a message called The Power of the Heart. And then I gave one about the passion of the heart. Today, we're gonna continue on this series and I wanna talk to you about the fruit of the heart. The fruit of the heart. The first scripture I wanna share with you is in Proverbs 21.2 and it says this. People may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines the heart. Now, I've shared this scripture with you before, but I'm gonna give you a little insight into how I read scripture. When I read scripture like this, I can never really just read it at face value. If I just read it, like you can just skip past that and be like, all right, that's good and great, right? But I like to ask God questions. You know it's okay to ask God questions. And so I'm like, Lord, how do you actually examine someone's heart? Is there a formula? Is there an equation, a method? And it got me thinking about uh, who remembers, all of a sudden a lot of parents have become homeschool parents, right? And now I'm re- remembering the scientific method. Any of you guys remember that from school? Come on, I need you to work with me. You guys remember that? Or maybe you don't, maybe you didn't, I don't know, I'm not, no judgment, no judgment, right? The scientific method, you always start off with a question and then you do a little research, you form a hypothesis. And uh, I mean like, so if I'm, have a question like, why do I always get hives when I'm around cats? You know, I, that's, a, that's a question I have. And so I do a little research and I discover, oh, hey, a lot of people are actually allergic to cats, right? So then I form my hypothesis and I say, I might be allergic to cats. And what do I do? I do an experiment and I get one of those precious little kitties and I'm holding them for a little bit and then I see my results and I go, oh man. And my conclusion is I'm definitely allergic to cats Right, and that's what we use. We use a very scientific method to determine the natural world. But does God use, or what does God use to determine our hearts in the spiritual world? Does he use any method, any calculation at all? And I believe he does. And I believe it's found in John chapter 13, verse 35. And Jesus says this to you and to me. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Gotta pause there, okay? Listen to what Jesus is saying. By this one thing, by this one thing, everyone should be able to determine whether you're a follower of Christ or not a follower of Christ. Anyone should be able to determine by this one thing. Are you ready for this one thing? There we go, one person, thank you. All right, one thing. He says, if you really are my disciples, you really are my disciples if you love one another if you love one another. But then you can't just end there. You say, okay, well, what is, you know, how how do I know if I'm really loving? A few weeks ago, I shared the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But how do you 
How do you figure out if you actually are loving your neighbor and loving God? And honestly, I feel like loving your neighbor is a little bit easy to figure out, right? It's the golden rule. Do to others what you want them to do to you. Treat others the way you want to be treated. The Bible says that there is no greater love than to lay one's life down for a friend, right? That's a totally different message, but we could put those things and actually look at our lives and say, am I doing those things? Am I treating people the way I wanna be treated, you know? I wanna be shown forgiveness, I don't know about you guys, but that means I have to be willing to show forgiveness to others. I wanna be given the benefit of the doubt, right? So I have to be willing to give other people the benefit of the doubt as well. So that's really, for me, that's a little bit easier. The tougher part is how does God determine if we really love him? Remember, this is the one thing. How we love is the one thing Jesus says that the world will know whether you are my disciple or not my disciple, right? Love. And how does God know if we love him? John 14, 15 says this. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands. In verse 23, he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teachings. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Again, we use this word love all the time, but it's really one of the worst words in the English vocabulary because we use it for everything. I love tacos. I love the Jayhawks. I love Christmas. Oh, and I love God too. Okay, that's fine, but do you really love God as much as you love tacos? No, but you use the same word. So we kind of just throw this word around all the time. But God says, if you really love me, and that's the one thing that determines whether you're a disciple of Christ or not. He says, you will obey me. So where am I going with this this morning? I believe the Lord does have a formula to examine my heart and your heart. And the first thing he looks at is how we love others right? Are you doing, are you loving them the way you want to be loved? Are you treating them the way you want to be treated? Secondly, he looks at whether or not we are really loving him or not. And how does he determine if we're loving him? He says, if you love me, you will obey me. If I had time, I would write, uh, you wouldn't want me to, but I would write it on a big uh, chalkboard or something for you to see. But this is how I think of it. The formula is this. I say, I love the Lord. The fruit of the heart, which is the title of today's message is love. When you have Jesus in your life, you should always be producing love in your life. That is a fruit of the Spirit, right? But love will always be categorized and characterized through obedience and followed through with action. And when you do that, it will always produce more love in your life. It's this cycle again and again and again. If I say I love God, I can't just say it with words. I have to put it in with my obedience, put it into actions. And when I do that, I will produce proper fruit again and again. So this is what I want to talk to you guys about this morning. I have a lot of scriptures to share, but before we dive into it, I just want to pray. So uh, bow your heads. Father God, I just thank you so much for these amazing individuals, those who are watching online or in this room. And right now, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and our lives. And Jesus, may we be disciples characterized by our love, but not just love with our words, love with our obedience, love with our actions. And may you always produce, may you always produce the proper fruit in our life fruit from the heart in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. All right, so are you there at Matthew chapter seven? If you're there, say I'm there. Sweet, you guys did better than the first uh, service, so good job. All right, and it's gonna be on the screen for you guys as well. This is a very challenging scripture, but we have to start with it. Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. Listen, you can identify them by their fruit. We're talking about fruit this morning. 
You can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? If you're okay with it, just underline that word or that phrase, by the way they act. That's what is really saying there is, by your actions, by your actions, people should really know whether you love and whether you love or if you're really a disciple of Christ, right? We can determine a false teacher if they say, well, right here in 1 John 4.20, it says, if someone says, I love God, yeah, I love God, but hates a fellow believer That person is a liar. For if we don't love people who we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? Think about that for a moment. We say this all the time, right? But what this is really saying is we should know a false teacher, a false disciple by their fruit. If they're not doing the things by the way they act, if they're not doing the things that God's called them to do, we can say, nope, it's, it's, it's really simple, they're not. But if that's true, I also believe the adverse is true. And that means we can actually identify a true disciple of Christ by the way they love, that is by the way they obey, by the way they follow through with their actions, amen. That's how, that's our determining factor. We can actually, if we can do it with the false prophets or false teachers, right, we should be able to do it with true disciples of Christ. So let's keep reading. Verse 17, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their motives. Oh, is that not what it says up there? Oh, I'm sorry. I think I gave you the wrong one. You can identify people by their actions. Come on, that was a joke. Get it, people, right? (laughs) You can identify people by their actions, right? But we want to pretend like, hey, by our motives, I have a good heart. You know I love you. You know I love you. But do you really treat that person like you love them? God, you come up here and you can raise your hands on a Sunday. But like, do you really treat God like you love him like that? God doesn't judge us by our motives, what we set out to do. God judges us by our actions, That's what this verse is saying here. And this is right here, verse 21. It is the most, one of the most challenging verses as a disciple of Christ myself that I have to read and apply it to my own life, but it's important that we do. Verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen, only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter Come on, that's an action step. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name, performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Think about what the Lord is saying there. You who break God's laws. What he's saying is, you who say you honor me with your motives, but don't follow through with your actions. You break God's laws like they're nothing. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. And before we go any further, I want to give you this warning, because what I don't want you to do is walk away this morning thinking, Pastor Mike, I gave you a message about, hey, if you just seek the Lord with all your heart, and you're a really, really good person, and if you try your hardest, you're going to get to heaven. Because I do not believe that. I believe that's a legalistic warning. Legalists will just be like, hey, you know what? 
I'm just going to just do the best I can to be a good person. If the speed limit's 55, I'm going 54 because I don't want to break the law of the land. I am a good person, and God's going to accept that, right? But that is not what the Bible teaches at all. We only know we can get into heaven through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The only thing that could pay for our sins is Jesus. Amen. Come on, come. someone, someone say amen to that, right? That is the only way, the only way we can ever get into heaven. Only way. So before you walk, that is not what I believe, right? That if you're just a good person, you're gonna get into heaven. But this is what I believe. We cannot spit upon the grace of God. And what Jesus says, if you wanna be my disciple, the one thing, the one thing, the one thing that we can all determine whether or not you're really a disciple of Christ, he says, is your love. And how do we know if we love God? It's if we obey his commands. And those commands are followed through with actions. And when we do that, we will always produce proper fruit in our life. The fruit of the heart is love. It is love. But how do we keep producing, this is the big question today, how do we keep producing proper fruit in our lives? How do we do it? Or rather, how do we keep producing proper obedience in our life? Because that's the determining factor, right? That's the method. He's looking not whether we say I love you. He's saying, are you actually putting to action? I believe there's three steps that we can do to keep producing proper fruit of obedience and love in our lives. And the first one is this. We have to understand the condition of our hearts. I believe this is a timely message. Uh, just last week, I got together with a couple, Adrian and I did, and I just had seen, now this is a couple that I genuinely love. I would honestly lay down my life for them. I love them that much, I really do. Um, but I saw some things that they had posted online, and surprise, surprise, I didn't agree with them. Anyone ever experienced that before? Right, okay, all the rest of you didn't raise your hand, you liars. Okay, I know, I know, I see what you post. Um, so I, I, I disagreed with what they had said, and instead of just sending them a text and being like, hey, you sinners, you hypocrites, how could you ever say that? I'm like, hey, can we please have a cup of coffee? I'd love to get together with you. So we sat down as couples, we just talked, uh, great conversation. There were some things that we definitely agreed about, about, some things we disagreed about, but on those things, we just agreed to disagree, and we still left in love, and you know you can do that, right? That's, that's okay to do. I mean, there's some things that might cause me definitely to break fellowship with someone, but these were not those type of things. I was just trying to bring like some clarity, like, hey, I saw you said this. What did you really mean by that? And one of the things that kind of came out in our conversation was this belief that the humanity in and of itself is basically good. Okay, this is a very popular idea in today's culture. Uh, the problem is that's just not what the Bible says, right? So the culture likes to believe we're basically good. In and of ourselves, we're basically a good people. You know, we have our few bad apples, but those are few and far between. I mean, those are like the Hitlers and Bin Ladens and like these really just terrible people. But in and of ourselves, people are generally pretty loving and actually pretty good if you give them a chance. Eh, wrong. It's not. They're not. We're not. Okay? And don't take my, for, my word for it. Here is the word of God. Psalms 51, five through six says, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even from there. Romans 3, 23, for most have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, you didn't catch that one either. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Come on, people, wake up, right? All have sinned. We have all sinned. Not most, not like a few bad few. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we only deceive ourselves 
and the truth is not in us. Think about that first verse I shared with you. A man may be right in his own eyes, but the Lord examines the heart. Think about this, it's terrible. I can honestly justify just about anything in my life. I have told so many little white lies and broken like little promises and this, like, oh, did I really? No, I didn't really do anything too bad. I, you know, but I, 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 honestly, I'm just telling you, I'm a sinful human being, I've done it before. A man might be right in his own eyes, but the Lord examines the heart. When we say we have no sin, which is a very popular belief, in the culture today, and even Christian culture in a lot of Christian churches, when we say have no, we have no sins, we're only deceiving ourselves. I mean, that's literally what the Bible says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Sorry, guys, but I have to read Ecclesiastes 7.20. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Hits us hard, doesn't it? There's not a righteous man who does good and never sins, not one. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. We have all sinned. We have all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Like, we have to understand this. Have to understand this. Look at what Paul says in Romans seven eighteen. He says, for I know nothing good dwells within me. Think about this. This is the apostle Paul, guys. He endured sleepless nights. He went hungry. He traveled the world preaching the gospel. He was shipwrecked multiple times. And he goes, I know there is nothing good that dwells within me. I know this. There's nothing that good dwells, that dwells within me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. But listen, not the ability to carry it out. That's an honest man for you there. He's saying, I wanna do what's right, I wanna do what's good, but the problem is my heart is desperately, terribly, inevitably wicked, and I can't do it, not without the grace of God. Jeremiah 17, nine through 10, I shared this with you two weeks ago, says the human heart, we're talking about the fruit of the heart, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. There it is again. It's not your motives. It's not that you say you love Jesus. It's not if you come to church. It's by your actions. Do you really love the Lord? You guys, are you getting, beginning to see how evil the human heart really is? And if you don't believe me, just ask a parent, right? Right, any parents in here? I mean, you do not, you ask me, I have four kids, okay? I love my kids. I mean, I'm telling you, I absolutely love my kids in the drop of a hat, you know, in the blink of an eye, I would give my life for my four kids and I would do it with a smile, I would literally be glad. I would jump in front of a train with a smile on my face if I knew it was saving one of my kids. That's how much I love them, right? Besides my relationship with my Lord and the relationship with my wife, they are the things that I love most in this world, but I never had to teach my kids to be selfish. Come on, all the parents are like, yeah, you better believe it, right? Pam, don't be poking anybody. A lot of kids over there, right? Think about this. I never had to teach my kids to be selfish. I never had to teach them to tell a lie. I didn't, I didn't have to teach them to twist the truth a little bit or anything like that. They just came out of the womb like, just me, 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 mine, 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 to me. I mean, like, just all the time. It's terrible. I love him to death. Our youngest is one, and he still doesn't realize he can sleep through the night, right? 
all my other kids at one, it was like this magical number, boom, started sleeping through the night. I felt like a normal human being again, but this kid just, just doesn't get it. And so he's crying, he's crying. And I, I just feel terrible. We're trying to sleep train him. Like, I'm not going in, I'm not going in. And after like, you know, a long time, I'm like, don't judge. You know, I go in and I pick him up and he just like immediately, as soon as I pick him up, he's not hurt. He's not anything, he just wants me. And he goes, dada. And then just lays his head on me and then falls back asleep once I rock him for another 20, 30 minutes or something like that, right? He's just selfish. He just wants me. He doesn't know that I'm exhausted. I'm like, please just let me sleep. I'm so tired. But he doesn't know that. He's just terribly and desperately sinful and wicked like we all are, right? And you might just say, man, that's hard. But this is, listen, this is why I take my kids to Rev City Kids on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights. It's why I do devotions with them. I want them to know that they have a disease. We all have this disease. It's called sin. And that sin's going to lead to death one day. And maybe that's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can you talk to kids that way? That, that's, my, that's a scary reality. But the thing is, reality can be scary sometimes. That doesn't mean we change the reality. The reality of God's truth, which is what culture wants to do all the time. They just want to say, well, then we're not sinful. We don't need to tell our kids that. But the truth is we are sinful from birth. But I never leave my kids there. I never just, you know, say, Mateo, to my oldest, sorry, you have a disease. It's going to kill you one day. It's called sin, right? Like, I don't leave them there. No, I leave them with the gospel. Listen, if we don't know we're sinful, what is the gospel even about? Why, why do we need to know about Jesus? If we think we're good, basically good, there's absolutely no reason for Jesus Christ. None whatsoever. I want to teach my kids. I want you to teach your kids without the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. We are terribly in need of a savior. Romans 5, 8 says, but these are the verses I love to share with my kids. But God shows his love for us and that why we are still sinners Christ died for us. Why I was in the act of rebellion, sinning, throwing my fit in God's face, he still sent his son to die for me and for you. First John 1, 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it starts with us confessing it. When we say we have no sin in our life, we're only fooling ourselves. We're far, far, far better to confess our sins to the one who can take care of it. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I just love Ezekiel 36, 26. God declares over you and me, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Listen to me, church. We have to understand, we truly have to understand the condition of our heart. Without Jesus, we are terribly evil and wicked. But when we come to him and we say, Lord, I love you, that love will always be characterized in obedience. That obedience will always be followed through with actions. And when we're putting our faith into action, we will always produce more fruit of love in our life, amen? All right, that's the first step. Second step is we have to ask God to test our heart. We have to ask God to test our heart. Notice how we have to ask God to test our heart. We cannot test our own heart, right? I, like I said earlier, I can justify just about anything in my heart. I, I, it's, it's terrible. My heart is just that wicked. I have to have God do the testing. And just for fun, do you guys remember, what do you normally do when you test if food is good in the refrigerator or not? 
Sniff it. I heard someone say sniff it, right? And so I remember I'm one of six kids, and um, I, uh, I'm kind of right in the middle. So I have an older brother and a younger brother. We're all two years apart, so we're all right there. And that means we were all teenagers at the same time living in my parents' house. And if you know anything about teenagers, that pretty much means we have a bottomless pit in our stomachs for like eight years, right? And I'm, I'm pretty sure we almost bankrupt my parents with how much we ate. And I remember one time we came in, and we were raiding my mom's kitchen, and we're fling open the you know, refrigerator and we're looking for some food, some milk, and we can't find any milk. And all of a sudden my brother goes, hey, there's some milk in the back. So he grabs it and he goes, uh, yeah, it's like a week and a half old, kind of opens and opens, smells. He goes, yeah, that doesn't smell great. Micah, why don't you try it? So I'm like, okay. And so, you know, I'm just went for a run or whatever we did and I drink it and I just like literally feel the curds like going down my throat. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't think I want to do that kind of testing anymore, right? There's a reason why we cannot test our own heart. But how does God do it? How does God actually test our heart? Let me ask you this question. I want you to all to think of something that you religiously do before you leave the house, right? Something that you do. It could be, you know, I bet most of us grab our phones, we grab our keys, our wallets, our purse, something like that. I hope most of us look in the mirror before we leave the house. Uh, If you don't, I'm just giving you some godly counsel here. You probably should. Just make sure you know you're doing all right. It's funny, I uh, was telling my wife, I'm turning 32 this year, but I was like smiling in the mirror the other day and I see these like little crow's feet. I'm like, man, I am too young to be getting these little wrinkles on my face. Like, can I invest in CBD oil? It's like, is that okay? Like, I don't know. And but I was just saying like, man, As a man looks in the mirror, so one's life reflects the heart. This is actually what Proverbs 27, 19 says. As water reflects the face, or as a mirror reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Do you realize your life, the life that you live, actually reflects the heart that's inside of you? The life that you live reflects the heart that's inside of you. I'm telling you, I cannot, I cannot test my own heart. I have to come to God. I say, God, you do the testing. Let's look at Psalms 26, 2. It says, test me, Lord, and try me. Look, the Lord is doing the testing here, okay? Not testing myself. The psalmist is not testing himself. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. I love how the NLT puts it. It says, put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart. I love that phrase, cross-examine me, right? Like if you're a lawyer, you totally get it. It's like a, this lawyer term. And if you've been in the court of law before or if you've seen a show, it always starts with a lawyer and he goes, all right, give me your testimony, what happened? And that's like the first time the defendant gives their truth. We're really good about giving our truth, right? I mean, come on, we would just, oh, this is what happened. And I'm totally innocent. And we just go on and on and on. You go, okay, I rest my case, they sit down. Then what happens when the other lawyer stands up? He starts asking maybe some more difficult questions, right? He goes, okay, I see that's what you said, um, but why were you out past curfew and why were you parked in front of that convenience store for two hours and why did you have a mask in your back pocket? Why did you have a gun underneath your car and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, and the truth like comes out, right? That's the type of idea here. We have to come to God and say, cross-examine me. I might be right in my own eyes, God, but would you ask me those questions? that make me actually reveal what's in my heart. We need someone in our life to get those secret motives out of us, and that is the Lord. Psalm 139.1 says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. Do you realize there's nothing in your life that God doesn't already know about? 
we may as well come to him with it anyway. Lord, examine my heart. Search my heart. Remove anything that's keeping me from following you. David prayed in Psalm 17, O Lord, hear my prayer for justice. Listen to my cry for help. Pay attention to my prayer, for it comes from honest lips. Declare me innocent, for you see those who do right. You have tested my thoughts and examined my heart in the night. You have scrutinized me and found nothing wrong. I am determined not to sin in what I say. Now listen, church, I understand this is a very, very bold prayer. Lord, examine my heart. It's not for the faint of heart to pray this prayer, but I promise you, he is faithful. He is just that when we come to him and say, Lord, examine my heart. Truly, God, remove anything that's keeping me from following you. I, I just, I need, I need guidance. Am I supposed to take this job or this job? Marry this person or this person? He is faithful. He is just, and he will tell you what you need to do. Just come to him. Have him test your heart because our hearts are desperately wicked. We cannot trust our own judgment on this. We have to come to the word of God. We have to come to the man of God himself, Jesus. Psalm 119 says this. Joyful are the people of integrity, listen, who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws. Remember, we're talking about obedience. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commands carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life to your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. Why do you think he adds that last part? Why do you think he adds, please don't give up on me? I believe it's because when we come to God and say, Lord, examine my heart, even we will be surprised what's in there. We will be surprised about what's in there, what comes out, what God's able to bring out. But here's the thing, God will never forsake you. He never will leave you. He already knows what's in your heart. So take heart, he has overcome the world, he has died for you, and he has died for me. Don't give up. Don't give up on yourself because God will never give up on you. The third step in the way we keep producing spiritual fruit in our lives is dying to ourselves and living for God. And I'm telling you, this is not popular, this is not fun, and it's not easy. But in God's economy, you cannot truly live for him until you die to yourself. You cannot truly call yourself a disciple of Christ if you're not willing to lay down your life and follow him. And that's not my opinion. This is what the word of God says. Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, daily and follow me. 
Galatians 5.24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. We all have passions and desires, but when we become Christians, when we become disciples of Christ, we're saying those passions and those desires, if they're not lined up to God's will, I'm crucifying them. I'm putting them to death, and I'm seeking God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Matthew 10, 38 says, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's the words of Jesus. If you will not take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being called mine. That's what Jesus is saying. Again, that's not easy. I'm not saying it is, but this is what Jesus has called us to do. John 12, 24 says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies. You and I are that grain of wheat. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. If it dies, and only if it dies, it will bear much fruit. That is the fruit of the heart. The fruit of the heart is love. But we cannot just go around saying, I love, I love, I love. That means nothing to God. He doesn't judge us on our words and he doesn't judge us on our motives. He judges us by our actions. True love, true disciples of Christ will be characterized in love. That love will always be characterized in obedience, will be fallen through with action, and that will always produce proper fruit of love in our lives. It's a cycle again and again and again. Daily, we deny ourselves, we pick up our cross, we follow him. It doesn't matter what the world says is true. It doesn't matter what they say the reality is. This is the reality of the world we live in today. And Jesus is the ultimate example of this sacrifice, and self-sacrifice that he performed for us. I love what Corinthians 5 says. Either way, listen, either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, that's you and that's me, we also believe that we all have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. You will no longer live for yourself. You will no longer live for yourself. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them, who died and was raised for me, who died and was raised for you. But I have to give you this warning. It's the same warning that Jeremiah gave to the people of Israel right before they were led away into captivity. Jeremiah said, but my people would not listen to me. They kept doing whatever they wanted following the stubborn desires of their evil hearts. They went backward instead of forward. I'm telling you, that is the last thing that God wants for you. That is the last thing God wants for you. It's the last thing we want for you. I want all of us to be seeking God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, knowing we'll never really measure up, but we can come to our great advocate the one who shed his blood for us, who died upon the cross to take away our sins and the sins of the world. And all we have to do is confess our sins to him. And if you would allow me to, 
I want to declare the, a scripture over you guys. So would you just close your eyes right where you're at? And if you're watching online, let me just read this scripture to you. But I want to read it. I'm going to change just a few words around. And I'm going to read it like God, your father, your faithful friend is reading it to you. Is that okay? Can you just receive that this morning? This is what your Abba father, your daddy, daddy. This is what he says to you. Proverbs 3, 1 through 6. My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with me and with people. You will earn a good reputation. Trust in me with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek me in all you do and I will show you which path to take. Someone needs to hear that this morning. Someone needs to hear that if you seek the Lord with all of your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, he will make your path straight. He will make your path straight. He will show you which path to take. And I understand the world is crazy right now. I go to bed sometimes, I just feel overwhelmed, right? We're dealing with a worldwide pandemic, social unrest and social injustice. Political divisions and divides that seem worse than we've ever had before. Kids who haven't been in school for over six months. It's just a crazy time. Honestly, I can feel really overwhelmed. But this is what God says to you. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Listen to me, church. Left unchecked, your heart will produce fruit. Without Jesus in your life, your heart will still produce fruit, but it's not the fruit that we want. Your heart will produce fear. It will produce anxiety. It will produce anger, hatred. But we can come we can come, we can confess our sins to the precious, precious son of God who took away the sins of the world. We can come to him and when we come to him, we are a new creation. And I wanna give anyone here, whether you're watching online or in this room, an opportunity to experience that life-changing power. Is there anyone here today that wants to experience that life-changing power of Jesus Christ? Accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. If you do, would you please just raise your hand right now so I know who to pray for? 
And even at home, would you just raise your hand? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. He's doing something here this morning. He's doing something here. All right, we're going to pray this prayer together. And we do it together because we are a family. We say it a lot. We're a family and we want to come right alongside you and say, hey, if you've made this commitment today, we want to show you that we love you and that we cherish you. We also do it, we say it a lot as well, but we will never graduate from grace. I need to pray this prayer because I need to be reminded of my need for a savior. So together, let's just repeat after me. Father God, I recognize my need for a savior. And I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I could never pay, to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. I give you that life. I give you my trust. I give you my whole heart. And because the blood of Jesus, I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God a, just a round, please? <laughs> Worship team, can you just lead us? Come on, let's stand to our feet. Let's worship our God, our Savior and King. And just remember, he is our living hope. Amen. <laughs>